This is a Momentum Media production. Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day, how you going? Phil Tarrant, co-host, Investing Insights with Right Property Group, joined by Steve Waters, Victor Kumar, Directors, Right Property Group, the brains trust of this operation. Gentlemen, how you going? I love the intro. Hey, Phil. And great, thanks, mate. The brains trust. Brains trust. <laughs> Some might argue that point. <laughs> Brain trust, then maybe. I know Victor does the heavy lifting in your relationship. So, um, absolutely. But we absolutely. won't go too much uh, into that. You, you are informed today, Phil. Are you starting the sledge right up early? <laughs> Mate, very informed. Some people say I'm one of the most informed people in real estate in Australia. So, uh, Victor, I'd like to think that uh, I might use an opinion. Who, uh, sorry, no, who says that? Uh, everyone, mate. Everyone. He, right, he had okay. a poll done and, uh, you know, there's a, um, a sample of one. Him. Yeah, it was a, a, a single straw poll. <laughs> a single a straw poll of one person says, well, mate, you know, you say that we, uh, we're we recording this, rorting it. We're, we're recording <laughs> this in a run-up to the uh, uh, the federal election. So you're probably tuning into this just after the election has happened. So we're going to be quite uh, careful about um, what detail we go into because uh, we don't know which party will come up trumped. However, uh, what we do know is that uh, at a policy setting, uh, both the uh, government and the opposition are, are looking to to tinker with this whole notion around affordability and getting Australians into property, which we'll talk about. But, but get back to polling, uh, my poll, Steve, uh, of the who's who of real estate in Australia, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't think you were part of this poll. We didn't ask for any information from you guys. You sort of fell outside the top 100. But um, uh, yeah, <laughs> F- Phil Tarrant being one of the most authoritative voices in real estate, the I can't remember what the, the quotes were. Um, he says it as it is. He knows what's going on. Uh, he's not compromised by uh, anyone in particular. He He's there to back all Australians to create wealth. I think that was one of the quotes, mate. Um, I don't who, know what they say about you. From whom? From whom? <laughs> I'll send you over the details. No, come on. This is a, I think this it was is from a, your staff members, actually. This is from my staff members. Well, <laughs> For the well, listeners, if you, if, well, you, if, you, if you can visualize, <laughs> Phil's just trying to keep a straight face and Steve's just beaten big time. <laughs> and Victor's no, no. sniggering, sniggering no, no, like no, snagglepuss. I haven't, <laughs> haven't snagglepuss. I haven't bitten. I'm just, uh, I just want him to admit that the the review that he got was actually written by himself. Well, going back, Steve, to the election, uh, we all know that most polls are flawed. So, no, no doubt the uh, the Phil Tarrant real estate poll is probably definitely one of them. But um, well, maybe uh, anyway. maybe a better way to review yourself would have been the Elon Musk of journalism around property. Yeah, maybe all about free, all about free speech, free free speech. Someone needs free speech. But I, I, I we, we do laugh at this, Stephen. I do. I'd like to think this, I guess, a backhanded compliment because I'd never give a, a forehanded compliment. Um, I'd like to think. Uh, I'm reasonably informed about real estate because of all the time I've spent with you and Vic over many, many years. So uh, thank you for the apprenticeship uh, uh, in property. Uh, it's That's been an uh, enjoyable one. And um, and now it allows us to to speak, I think, the three of us every single month on Investing Insights Rock Property Group with a, a sense of realism and curiosity that I think keeps us connected in with property and keep doing what we're doing every day. So you guys should keep up the good work. And, and you've both seen many different market cycles, and I think that gives you an interesting position to offer opinions into a market. And when you look at where we are right now and and this particular real estate cycle and the market that we are in and heading into, I think it's very different than anything that we've ever seen before. And 
you know, to your point from uh, an earlier discussion we had, Steve, there is a crisis in Australian real estate right now, and it's absolutely around uh, affordability. So I really wanted to pick that up today and, and really unpack that and get some sense for it because uh, the more you look into it and the more you do become informed about real estate, the more you sort of become alert to seismic shifts, which can dictate markets moving forward. That I don't think we've really got to measure in history for how this may play out. So mate, affordability is is at the fore right now. And every single, the government, the opposition, irrespective of what happens in the election, are going to be trying to do something about it. But I think what's happening, and I'm reading, is that it's the laws of motion. Every action has an equal and opposite uh, reaction. And some of the stuff I'm hearing around now about you know uh, allowing people to draw down their super early in order to uh, get into a, a house earlier and beat the affordability crisis the ramifications that from that can be generational. So um, mate, give me some sense, Steve, for how you're seeing this affordability crisis at the moment. Well, I think that you could break affordability down into a couple of components. There's the affordability in and around purchasing and then retaining the asset as rates go up. And then there's the affordability, which is really what we wanted to focus on today, is around the tenant piece, rentals throughout Australia. And Whilst the federal election is is really more so about affordability in the purchasing side of the ledger, they're not really doing much to tackle the affordability in and around tenants. And yeah, you've probably seen it yourself, the amount of stories that are starting to come out now through various platforms and, and media agencies about people living in cars because they can't get a property to rent from the elderly down to young couples with kids. It really is a crisis, and it, you know, as we were chatting to just about before we started the podcast off air, and what Vic and I talked about on a few, li- I think it was a couple of months ago, around mm-hmm. uh, on one of our Facebook Live events, was this could very well potentially go down in history as the worst accommodation crisis that Australia is seeing. Yeah, you've got all the fundamentals there, and you've got several factors that have uh, kicked in. You know, obviously supply. Uh, and, and by supply, I mean the supply of goods. If you look at, say, as an example, timber, a lot of the timber, uh, say about, uh, and I don't remember the figures quite uh, down pat, but around 18% of our timber usage is imported. And of that, almost half would come from Russia and Ukraine. So obviously, that slowed down the supply chain. Then you've got the labor shortage because of COVID, because of uh, so much work around as well. And uh, so that supply of properties coming on has slowed right down. Then you overlay that with all of the natural disasters we've had, which has put a further dent in terms of properties available, uh, even the established properties that went underwater or got damaged. So you know we've, we've got several factors that are all lining up and have lined up to create the ultimate shortage in property. Well, let's compare it to a similar moment in time, which was in and around the GFC. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely accommodation crisis in and around that time as well. In fact, I remember there were, let's call it a Dutch auction on the front lawns and and, uh, car parks. This is for rent. Yeah, for rent, where there would be 100 people looking at a property for rent and the agent would be running a quasi-auction to see who wanted the property the most. We're actually seeing that again now. We've been seeing it probably since I'd say the borders were semi-relaxed 
and even in and around units as well, which we've mentioned before. But the big difference between what we have today versus the moment in time I was talking about in and around the GFC is there is probably four to six more components adding to the complexity and therefore the dire situation that will roll out. So back then, we didn't have closed borders. Back then, we weren't at the end of a finance cycle. Back then, we didn't have construction bottlenecks. Back then, we didn't have inflation. Back then, we didn't have the cost of goods and services dramatically increasing. All those points I just mentioned are what we have today, which is only going to compound the problem and give no space to rectify in a hurry Mm. at all. Because back then, it was the beginning of the cycle. And so, more people came into the market to supply accommodation. We're at the back end of that cycle now. So, there'll be less people going into the market for various reasons. One, the finance ecosystem, two, affordability, et cetera, et cetera, consumer confidence and the like. This is an inflection point that we've been speaking about for probably five years, Victor, saying it's going to happen and yep. here we are. Mm. And the Australian property market, if you want to use an analogy, is, is, is like a large cargo ship on, on the open seas. Um, you know, once it's got momentum underway, it'll keep driving forward and can weather the storms and can go through peaks and troughs and wind swells and all that sort of stuff and largely stay on course. But to try and turn that around or move in a different direction, it takes quite some time. So that that sort of momentum, that energy that it has is one of the positives of investing in real estate um, because of the continuity of it and it's not as open to share markets to you know rapid changes in, in valuations and stuff. But what it does mean, though, it's very hard to move, and I think that's where we're moving in right now. We we can't fix the affordability crisis in Australia overnight. Uh, it will take years and years and years and years, and that's been compounded or exacerbated, rightfully, Steve, as you pointed out, by these myriad other factors which just haven't existed in other markets. So uh, we will get to what does all this mean for property investors because I think most people are going, okay, depending on how you're why, it's either going to be there are a lot of headwinds. Um, I need to take a defensive position, whereas other people would say, wow, all those tailwinds can be effective and highly valuable if you deploy the right strategy and tactics right now to capitalize on this market. So stay with us. We'll get to that. But looking at the macro economic environment, some of these things will move through pretty quickly. So the election's coming up. Once we know who is in power, I think we'll just get on with the business of government and politics. And you know, yes, the government of the day does have some sort of impact in property and real estate investing. But if you look back long term, uh, the trends are there. These things sort of typically uh, cycle through and go out and the the upward trajectory of real estate remains. So the government will have some impact, but not a heap or a lot of impact. Now, the key thing is, is that, you know, we're recording this a uh, couple of weeks now after the interest rate announcement. And so we haven't, we normally chat on a Friday Arvo and say, oh, what's going on? We really haven't gone too deep into that. So I want to touch on that. So the headline announcement around the real estate, uh, sorry, around the RBA's decision to hike interest rates 0.35% uh, from 0.1, the lowest in history. Now, remember, it's only 0.35, but it's not a lot, right? It's about what does this mean for Aussie borrowers and how is this going to exacerbate the cost of living and uh, tightening of family balance sheets and all that sort of stuff. One third of Australians have a mortgage. There is two thirds of Australians that don't have a mortgage, right? And they are typically people that own their homes or own their properties outright with no debt against it. Normally, 
older Australians who have heaps of equity and, and you're going to see that transitional wealth going into the generations moving forward. And the other third are those that rent. And Australia and Australians will quickly become generational renters and if we're not already there uh, right now. So your point, Steve, around the affordability equation is that that third of the market at the renting uh, phase because you know we talk about the cost of buildings, the supply chain pressures, that's all cool. But for every Australian, the immediacy of those uh, spikes in inflation is food costs and fuel costs are the sort of headlines that everyone's experiencing right now. So if you exacerbate that or amplify it with 30% potential increase in rents, that makes the cost of living for the Australians that rent very significant. And back to that point, if we're not fixing the problem, i.e. building out more rentable renting accommodation, it's only going to get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. We're going to have more people living in cars. So there's positives and negatives to this. For, for With an ethical hat on as, a, as an investor, I'd like to think, and, and yourself, gentlemen, and a lot of people that listen to this podcast, that we, we are contributing in our way to supporting a more prosperous Australia by providing rental accommodation to people. That's a fact. Now, a lot of people would, that sit and, and have a different view of that would say it's property investors who are making it impossible for Australians to buy properties because you're buying up all the properties and make it unaffordable. There's two sides to that argument. However, the government, it's interesting, Steve and Victor, the government is happy to invest in property from a point of view of whether they're going to front up part of the deposit or give a guarantee to a bank against it, or they're going to let you draw down and super. The government is highly connected in ensuring the continuity of the value of Australian real estate because they're getting highly invested inside of it. That said, they don't want, they don't want to be continuing to build. They don't want to be landlords. The Australian government doesn't want to be landlords. We have social housing, but then we have this other. Uh, area which is essentially covered by property investors that provide affordable housing. So either the government needs to build more houses for people to live in, or they need to incentivize property investors to do that work for them. Now, with an ethical hat on, I think that's not a bad way to look at it. Victor, how do you see it, mate? Um, yes, there is a, a contribution as property investors supporting uh, housing, but we can do more. And how can we do more? Look, uh, I agree, Phil. Um, and um uh, obviously, both governments, and we, uh, at the time of recording, we don't know which government's coming into power. Both have you know, property policies, and it's natural because they can recognize and, and see that there is a crisis already developed and it'll get much worse. And for us as investors, if we were to help, I, I guess it's a double-edged sword, right? So the way we could help is obviously if you've if you've got a development site parked, if you've got a granny flat site parked, you could you could pull the trigger on it, and therein lies the problem. Because the supply and the cost of doing these constructions is sky high at the moment, and there is no 100% surety that your, your building company is going to be there at the end of that exercise, uh, especially if it's a larger development. Uh, so like you said earlier, it's a ship that we need to turn around, but it's going to take quite a bit of time to turn it around because we've got this large beast that we need to feed in terms of getting more supply into it but we are hamstrung with how to get the supply in. And it's not something that we went into, say, COVID with an undersupply to begin with. And with all of the things that COVID has thrown and the natural disasters have thrown, that certainly made it a far, uh, you know, far worse. And there's a natural hesitation, when, especially when you have the first interest rate rise in 11 years, for people to sit back and say, okay, I don't know how this looks. Let me sit this out. Um, if you look at it from a 
pure household economics point of view, um, you can charge a premium rent ethically at this stage. So therefore, uh, your return is certainly higher. But the cost to get those returns is higher as well. So it's pretty much a point of, you know, you're damned if you do as an investor and damned if you don't. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's something that we need to take in our pride and still continue with our own investing plans because the pieces will fall as they do so long as, you know, we're not overexposing ourselves from a financial point of view. So top line then, Steve, um, considering what Victor has just explained there and this sort of the global forces impacting Australian property, and that goes from war in Europe to the security environment to the supply of uh, goods and materials in and out of Australia, um, all the way down to sort of the local mechanics of the Australian domestic uh, economy and how that's all playing out. Are you concerned and worried? Do you look at this in an optimistic sort of lens or, or something of a negative lens? And you're pretty considered. Um, you always are on the side of conservative, and I think that's appropriate. But give me like the top top line attitude philosophy you have towards Australian real estate as an investor right now? I'm fortunate as is Vic and you as well that we have seen lived through, invested through multiple cycles, 22 odd years. So you get to be the recipient of a lot of learnt lessons, mm. I guess. Now, never the same crisis is the same. It, there's always, even the results can be different. The triggers are always somewhat different, but it's really our it's our attitude towards it which will drive which way we go and what the outcome will be. For me personally, it's, dare I say, a bit of the same old, same old. Yeah, I'm about recognising opportunity, how it plugs into my position and then executing because I know everything is cyclical. The big piece that none of us ever know is how long is the cycle going to be. We can hazard a guess. The economists don't even know. The RBA doesn't even know. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. So we need to be really looking at our bottom line. And you mentioned that I'm conservative. I'd probably agree with that. I'm aggressively conservative, <laughs> but I can flip very quickly as when the moons align in a very simplistic form. So for me, it's just same old, same old. I'll continue going. For whatever the lenders are willing to give me money, I will spend it because I think I'm pretty good at what I do and I know where I'm at. And there, there is the point. There'll be a lot of people out there that will be sitting on the fence that will still be speculative one way or the other and will potentially put themselves in harm's way if they don't approach it in a methodical fashion and that they're not strategic and that they don't pause every now and again to assess their position and then make an informed decision on what they do. But I also believe you'll always find a reason to do nothing, no matter what the market's doing. So during the boom, oh, it's going to finish tomorrow, I'll wait. Mm. Or what we have today, oh, rates are going up, I'll wait. Yeah, there is that sort of person out there, and there's nothing wrong with that. If it doesn't let you sleep at night, then don't do it. But as the expression goes, the best time was always yesterday. But as long as we don't, as long as we change, as long as the general public changes their attitude on what we've experienced during the last couple of years, which was not normal, will happen again one day. Yeah, it happens. I can remember, as we've discussed before, these types of cycles with amplified growth probably several times over the last 22 years. 
different areas, to be fair. But we need to make sure that the we understand that what we're going into now would be a more normalized pattern as opposed to what we've experienced over the last couple of years. There'll be fantastic opportunity out there as the naysayer goes one direction and the sophisticated, well-thought-out strategic investor goes forward. You just need to recognize who you are in that personality test. And I think we just got insight into the Steve's view on leverage um, and and listeners might not have picked it up, but he said, as long as lenders are willing to lend me money, I'll keep buying real estate. And, and that's that's leverage. That's leverage at its at its core. Um, and it's not a baseline uh, philosophy that everyone understands immediately when they start investing in property. But when you've got a few years behind you and a bit of scar tissue, um, it's something that I know you've personally embraced, Victor. Mm. Yeah, and I'm glad that you know you've latched into that comment. One of the things that a lot of investors, especially when they're starting out their portfolio, is they buy for the sake of buying. And, and to add to Steve's comment, yes, banks lending lending the money. If they give us the money, we will spend it, but we will spend it on the right asset in line with what the market is doing, in line with what our portfolio is, is uh, shaping out to be. So it's never the same type of property you're buying throughout each cycle. Uh, as your portfolio develops and as different factors play in, there are slight adjustments to what you buy, where you buy, how you buy these properties so that it's always complementing what you've already got. And that's one of the things that we we do and we do really well is uh, our portfolio reviews with our clients where we do make these small adjustments. And the reality is that sometimes it is a waiting game. It is a waiting game because you may be a bit too top heavy. You need to finalize a few of the um, pieces in motion that you've already set before you can actually purchase another property. We should not mistake, you know, action as results. Yeah, I want to clarify, if I could interrupt, I want to clarify uh, the point around while the the bank is willing to give me the money, I'll spend it and spend it wisely. Mm. There's a very big difference between non-productive and productive debt. Anything that I spend is on productive debt. So assets that go up in value. Non-deductive debt is in and around getting finance for cars and experiences and white goods and the like. That I don't do, especially in a rising interest rate environment. Mm. Um, One of the things to consider, though, is at the moment, Australians are more in front of their mortgages than they ever have been, thanks to products such as the offset facility, the fifth wonder of the world. Credit card debt is the lowest it's been, I think, since the 70s, but don't quote me on that. There is a real consideration or a real chance that that will turn around, especially in terms of credit card debt. And it's one of the the metrics that I am watching closely to see as the rising cost of living goes up is whether people start to utilise credit or credit card debt. Now, having said that, what we can't take away is that we're in an environment where wage growth is a thing. It's real. Um, and that's going to happen because of all the obvious reasons, but we also have a cost of living that's rising. So there's a, there's a chance that, that inflation will outstrip wage growth. Uh, and this is, I'm circling back now towards the rental crisis or the accommodation crisis, but the increasing rents will have an absolute effect on inflation as well. But we can't deny that in line with 
household goods and services and, and fuel, as you mentioned. But it's something that we need to be very wary of as landlords, as investors who take on a commercial risk and responsibility moving forward. Whilst we do see these increasing of rents and we think that's fantastic because rates are going up and it somewhat negates the cost of our mortgages as they as they move up, there are some downsides to the situation that we have at hand and, and how it will expand on. As I mentioned earlier on, there could be tenant default. Mm-hmm. And Vic mentioned earlier on about the natural disasters in and around uh, the floods, the fires, depending on which part of Australia you're in. We know that our insurance premiums are going up. And so the type of insurance that you have now as a landlord is not about who's got the cheapest premium. It's about who's got the best policy. Now, disclaimer, not giving insurance advice, speak to the experts. But it's one of those components as property investors, as business owners, that we need to be aware of, along with many, many others, even though our rents are increasing. So where and how does all this end, do you think, uh, Vic? We talk about this this, this this crisis and there's some great quotes around, um, you know, never waste a good crisis, right? So if this is a crisis, there's victims of crisis or crises, uh, plural, um, and there's those that benefit from, from crisis. So property investors should be thinking, Okay, let's have a look at, at this situation right and this scenario. What's my defensive position around it right now? Get that squared away and then look for the advantages to capitalise on. So this is a moment in time and I would like to think, look, we're still in a COVID environment and the impacts of COVID are, are still with us and there'll be a long tail to it. But I think a lot of the the health concerns around it and people's baselines acceptance of, of COVID is we're learning to live with it. Uh, Etc. So they will dissipate over time. They're not going to be there forever. They will dissipate over time. Uh, that's in Australia. However, you look internationally and, and back to the point around supply chain crisis in China, for example, they're, they're smack bang uh, in the middle of a COVID eradication policy. Uh, they're locked up in a number of different cities uh, around. And, and over there, you're talking about cities that have the population of Australia, let's be clear. So that supply chain issues don't look like they're going to be going away at any point soon. That's from a a materials point of view, then you have a supply chain in terms of people. You know, Australia is, is now sort of got the borders open, We're trying to attract people into the nation. We're relaxing some of the immigration and, and migration laws. We're talking about you know, the new um, generation of, of 10-pound palms or whatever they're called these days. So that's not going to go immediately. However, all these things will slowly start to ease and we'll start getting to a more normalised environment. So the window of time, Victor, the window of time to actually look at this market and go, I'm going to do something about it and I'm going to be decisive. How long have you got? Okay. So the first thing that one really needs to look at is how does your household budget look like to begin with, right? Just just because there seems to be an opportunity, uh, you should not speculate. Uh, you need to know what your baseline is to begin with. So therefore, you need to know how much surplus cash you've got left over after all of your expenses so that you're not you're not compromising on lifestyle. Of course, if you're living a lavish lifestyle, there's no money left over, living on credit card to buy experiences, you need to have a long, hard look at that. But I, I dare say that the listeners of this podcast don't fall in that category. So if you look at it from a viewpoint of, first of all, you need to look at what your exposure is from a mortgages point of view, uh, especially in a rising interest rate climate. So you need to look at it from a viewpoint of, are your fixed rates about to expire? Are you going to go into principal and interest? And obviously, that'll be at the standard variable rate. So not only will you 
potentially double the interest rate that you're going to pay, you're also going to throw in a principal component into that payment as well. So don't leave your run too late. You need to start exploring how you're going to restructure mortgages before you even think of jumping on the bandwagon and taking advantage of what the market has to offer. Then you need to put yourself into a situation, into a position where you can move a lot more assertively in comparison to the other unprepared investors that are flooding into the market right now. As I uh, flow on from uh, our discussions with the agents, and we talk to real estate agents on pretty much on a daily basis, the first two weekends after the interest rate rise, um, you know, crickets at the at the uh, inspections. There are very few inspections. The numbers drop dramatically. As of this weekend, the numbers have picked up. So people have taken it in Australia and said, okay, yeah, there was one interest rate rise. I've done my sums. Uh, business as usual. Let's get back onto the bandwagon. You'll be so right. So that, that is starting to have, have, um, you know, perpetuate, which paves the way for the next interest rate rise. Yeah. And so we, we're likely to see a couple of interest rate rise. So you need to factor that into your budget before you get into investment property ownership. And once you've done that, one of the things that uh, perhaps not all of the economists, uh, for, as far as I know, only one institution has actually come up with this logical theory, is that the rates would go up, but it'll come down sooner than a lot of people expect. And that is because of the supply constraints, the housing crisis that's developed and is developing quite rapidly. Because look at all the other factors, right? We, we're going to open our borders up for immigration. We already have. And so people will come flooding back in. Your expats are coming back in as well. Your job uh, growth over here is phenomenal. So there will be uh, a natural need to make investing, home ownership, property ownership easier still, along with the government policies. There needs to be a fiscal policy as well. And the fiscal policy most likely would revolve around interest rates and will revolve around the availability of credit. So we are likely to see the finance cycle be much shorter than before. Now, obviously, no one can predict the future, but it, it seems to be lining up that way. It'll be much shorter than before. And, and certainly, if you look at all cycles, so the property cycle, the media cycle, the finance cycle, they're all compressing because of the ease of flow of information. So we're going to see all of those things. Uh, and obviously, the rents will continue rising because we're not building fast enough. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Vic, around the time piece, you know, with the interest rate cycle. And we, we've we referred to it a few times during the podcast around the finance environment. Um, you know, what revolution, what part of the revolution is it up to? And it is at the tail end, meaning that money credit is getting tougher to get. Now, it's not APRA style tough back in 1516. It's just not as easy as it has been over the last couple of years as a direct result of COVID and the like. But when we look at the cycles, the rate cycles, traditionally they've been quite, I guess I'm on a podcast and no one can see my hand movements here, but they're rolling. But due to a a myriad of components, which we've mentioned before, technology, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial is far more prevalent today, Uh, education, speed of knowledge, et cetera. There's a real chance and that lending institution that you're referring to is also picked up on it that this rate cycle could be far shorter than what it has been in the past. Yes, we will start to see or we are seeing rates uh, increase. And I think something just came into my mind then, Phil, that 
we talked about a couple of times ago around propaganda and the the consequence of that is what we're seeing because of the speed of technology and information and and what have you. We're going to see those rate cycles, the, the peak to trough, be a lot uh, shorter than what they have been in the past. And because of people's ability to educate themselves, their ability to take on risk in a sophisticated way, I actually think that what we're experiencing today will not be a 10-year cycle. Mm. It'll be It'll be far shorter than that because we do have the other components which are underpinning the issue at hand, which is, once again, the accommodation crisis, affordability, uh, the borders are open, and you know, we won't see those people come through the gates in real terms and the numbers until probably next year, middle of next year or thereabouts. So while there are those people that want to sit on the fence, actually rightly so because they're not sure of what to do, there's also a cohort that are wishing this to happen because potentially they missed the boat throughout the last cycle. They want it to collapse. They want it to be free-falling so they can say, I told you so. Mm. And look, to be fair, is there some parts of Australia that will have potentially, a well, not a bigger than normal, but will it have a contraction in value? Absolutely there will be. To what degree? Who knows? I could see probably 10% in some areas quite easily, but I still think there's areas that will not contract and in fact, will continue to increase in value. Well, that um, was well, a Churchillian quote that never let a good crisis go to waste. So just think about that as a property investor and work out how you're going to have an approach to that. And to Victor's point, get the house in order. And once you've done that, you can start looking to go on on the offensive. And you make a really good point there, Steve, in terms of um, the information you, you choose to consume through this environment. That'll probably help shape the way you see the world. But it's a big difference between... Um, disinformation and misinformation. Now, disinformation is where people uh, nefariously put information out there for the purpose of trying to persuade or corral uh, down a particular pathway. And often you see it always in real estate there. Traditionally, they were your sharks and spruikers uh, who are out there sort of putting disinformation into the market. And let me be clear, there's still plenty of people out there who are putting disinformation into the market when it comes around real estate. And then there's misinformation. Misinformation is very much around you just assume or absorb a particular piece of information, then you choose to act on that or disseminate it unwittingly, uh, which is information which is not accurate. So be really, really careful about where you're getting your your, your stuff from right now. And my point would be... um, uh, be well read, um, make your own assessments and judgments, but make sure you've got the right people on your side uh, to help you with your decision-making. And those right people aren't social media celebrities. Uh, those right people are people giving you free information. Uh, those right people are typically people you need to pay uh, to act on your behalf and in your favour and, and with your best interests in mind. Um, I'm very fortunate in real estate that we have uh, some of them. They're called property strategists and buyers agents who – I do act on your behalf, and that's the sort of stuff that Steve and Victor do at Right Property Group. So I'm sure these guys would help you make sure that you don't let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, this is when uh, a lot of Australians will either double down or amplify their portfolio or get get started and build a really nice foundational portfolio during this period of time. So make sure you're getting that help and assistance. Vic, I know you're busy, but you're happy to chat to more people who are interested in making good crises that don't go to waste? Absolutely. Now, as, as we say uh, every podcast, there is a little bit of a process when you do contact us and you can contact us through our website, um, rightpropertygroup.com.au or through our socials. You'll initially have a chat with Melissa, who's very a very accomplished property investor. 
so that she can then prepare you or help you prepare for the meeting with either myself or Steve. And then we can then uh, obviously set up strategies uh, and give you recommendations as to how to handle the property market based on your unique circumstances and set things in motion. So it all starts with uh, either a phone call or a email back to us uh, and uh, we can go from there. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, uh, gentlemen. Um, always informed. Uh, back to bookend this uh, initial discussion, uh, informed commentary around real estate. It's important stuff, Steve. Before we go, uh, I was going to call you Vic. Phil, because you're a journalist and a well-informed one. Mm. So Here we go. Say, Hang on. Yeah, Stay tuned. So you, so you say <laughs> predictions. So people will be listening to this at the at the uh, after the election. Yep. What's your prediction? Oh, mate, I'm just a struggling oh, journalist. I knew it. Oh, I knew it. Never, <laughs> never ask a journalist what I'm they just actually a struggling really journo. think. Well, you, you want me to call the election, do you? I want you to call the election. <laughs> yeah, you've got to remember, I've got the editing button of this uh, this podcast. So if I'm wrong, I can always make it go away. And if you're wrong, I'll leave it in there. So be very, very careful. <laughs> we're, we're recording as well. Uh, <laughs> um. They said they give us your real opinion. My, my, my view, um, and I'm not going to view. give you my uh, prediction, but I think a lot of Australians are fatigued by over-information from the government through the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, and a lot of them are probably sort of, you know, just like, I, I, I just don't care. You know, I'm, I'm done with it. I, I don't need to hear anything more. I just want to get on with my life. But I think as you get closer to the elections, uh, a lot more Australians will start thinking about their own rice bowl. And when it comes to election day, um, what you may have thought as a voter six weeks ago, a month ago, versus how you feel on the day where you pick up that pen and put a one in a box somewhere, uh, you're going to be thinking about your family. You're going to be thinking about your job. You're going to be thinking about your rice bowl, your wealth, uh, how you can protect it, how you can grow it. I think a lot of people at that point in time uh, probably forget about all those issues they they really had concerns about around climate change or some of these other, I don't want to call them peripheral policy matters because they're pretty important. Uh, so that's my view of it all. So a lot of Australians don't yet know how they're going to vote. And who knows what happens between now and, and Saturday, which is four days away. I've been watching election pretty closely. Uh, I, I must admit it's a bit schoolyard. It's tit for tat, gotcha type um, campaigning and electioneering. And I'm pretty informed, I like to think, and it's only now that we're seeing the both parties giving us some clear guidance on, on, on what the policy matters are, and we're only sort of a week into it. So maybe that's deliberate, maybe it's otherwise, but I don't really know. La- ladies well, and gentlemen, you have just heard the ultimate reply from the future federal member for Kirribilli. <laughs> it's it's, it's um, um, reply. He, the reply he answered you. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not mate, a thing. Mate, as I mentioned, I'm just a struggling journalist trying to get by. I'm a door-to-door podcaster. <laughs> door-to-door podcaster with a big rice bowl. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, okay, we'll talk yeah. about that off. We'll talk what about do you that reckon? Offline. Come on, Steve. Oh, we don't have another half an hour to give the answer that you just gave and told mm. us nothing. What do I think? I think people are sick of it, uh, yeah. is what I think. They want it to be over and get on with life. I think they find it an inconvenience that we've all got to rock up to the local school or polling booth. And have you got your donkey vote sorted out? You're going to put. You're going to put your right to Phil Tarrant. Tarrant twenty six is what you should write. 
I don't know if I can be your chief of staff. <laughs> Actually, no, I can't. I can't work for you. I can't work for anybody. What am I talking about? It's um, you're unemployable. Unemployable. Absolutely. I, I, I just, I think it's too close to call. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you're right. It's, it's and, what and I call Australians. And let's remember also, and, and I think we we spoke about this once on this particular podcast, and I'll round out with this: is that. Australia is actually a pure democracy in many ways. And you, th- you think of other, and by the way, one of the, the most biggest issues for the globe, the world, the earth, and I'm talking about the environment, but the global community is democracy is under a lot of threat at the moment and, and democracy globally is declining rather than rising. So just think about that for a moment. But Australia in many ways is a pure democracy. And some would say, well, it's anti-democratic because of this, but everyone has to vote, you know, Everyone actually has to vote in Australia because it's, it's mandated, whereas if you go to, the, to America, for example, you don't have to vote. So the people that vote in the US are typically highly politicised, they're invested in it, and they're typically the fringes of the left and the right. But what happens in Australia largely is that it's very centred because everyone has to vote or largely has to vote, otherwise you get to find some of our stuff. That's why you get so many donkey votes. But everyone actually has a say, and, and Australians by and large, our political parties aren't that different, to be fair. And because everyone rocks up to vote on election day, our elections are always very close. So to your point, Steve, it's going to be very, very close. It's going to be hard to call. And you only need to think back to the, the last election and and everyone thought that Labor was a shoe in And when it comes to, to voting day, and Scott Morrison spoke at length around the, the quiet Australian, are those quiet Australians are those that are worried about their rice bowl? Um, and, and I don't know how it's going to fall. Victor, you're probably not going to tell us either, are you? No, we'll just call it the rice bowl elections. Rice bowl uh, elections. Uh, yep. The rice bowl and I think, elections. Uh, if you look at it from facts and figures, um, every time there's been an interest rate rise, majority of time there's been a change in government if it's been in an election year. Mm. However, this time it seems to be a little bit different, right? So only time will tell. Yeah, it's all those exacerbated factors that Steve spoke as four, five, second and third order factors which dictate this particular market cycle that I haven't existed beforehand. But I like to narrate it. I like to chat with you guys around it, and hopefully we're helping our listeners steer themselves through more informed investment decisions. We'll see you all again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decisions you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.